I want to continue this week right along with what the Lord gave me for last week. I want to do this will be a part two. And I really feel like the Lord spoke to me and, and told me to say this to you last week, so I'm going to say this line again. He said, it doesn't matter how you lost your fire. It doesn't matter how your passion has waned. And it may not be your fault. But we need to get our zeal back. Who had a zeal for the Lord once? Does anybody in here remember a time where you burned for the Lord more than you do today? And if that's the case, it's time to get back. I said I would say it every week, so I'm going to say it again. You know that Jesus loves you so much. You know that he loves you so much that the Bible says he died for you 2,000 years before you would even commit the sins you'd commit. That's how much he loves you. And your sins were actually covered. Our minds don't compute because we live in time. But in God's eyes, your sins that you're going to commit one day, not even the ones you've committed already, but the ones you will commit, were already forgiven in his blood on the cross. All we have to do is come to him and bring them to him. And the Lord looks at us through that blood and says, you're forgiven. And when we came to that the first time, there was a fire that burned in us and a zeal in us. We wanted to tell everybody everywhere about what God had done in us, didn't we? God loves you. But God is not pleased with us when we let our fire go dim. He still loves you, but he wants that fire to burn in you all the time. He doesn't want us to say, well, once my fire burned. And as I've said before, I, I used to be on fire. God wants the fire to just to get brighter and brighter and stronger every day of our lives. He'll love you no matter if you accept him or not. He'll love you whether you love him back or not. And he'll love you no matter how dim that fire gets. But he's most pleased with your life when it's burning. Again, this is from the Lord. You can get mad at him if it's too heavy, too hard on you. Just get mad at him. I really feel like this was God and he loves us so much that he, he tells us beforehand, way, way, way beforehand, before it's too late. You know, many Christians, when hard times come, they walk away from their faith altogether. Sometimes it takes a really hard time to do that. But when a hard enough time comes, a lot of people's faith goes out the window. They turn to their own strength again. They turn to what they knew and how to deal with situations instead of going back to God. We all do that. I'm just as guilty as everyone else of trying to lean on my own strength. How am I going to figure out the situation I'm in right now? Well, we forget. I have the answer within me. It's easy to forget when his fire is not already burning. When you're constantly thinking about him all day, every day. When your life is about him 
then the answer is always, it's the first answer on your mind, and it's the first answer out of your lips. A good way to know <laughs> what's in your heart is what words come out of your mouth when your brakes fail and you start sliding towards another car. It's a good, good gauge of the condition of your heart. It's funny, but it's true. I'll put my mom on the spot in a good way. It was always Jesus out of her lips, and she meant it. It was always, Jesus! <laughs> and it wasn't a swear word. It was crying out to him, you're the only answer right now because this thing's going down without you. I remember when I was a kid, my dad thought he was Superman, so he towed this giant camper with this little Jeep Cherokee. And we were coming into a toll with something you'll never forget. And the camper started swaying. So much so that the tires on the Jeep went, whoop, whoop. I mean, that was it. And I, I'll never forget something that you just is ingrained, it's inside you forever. And my mom screamed out, Jesus, which could have been a really bad accident. And instantly the truck and the trailer straightened out. It came out of it because that's what's in your heart, right? That's, you're burning for Jesus. Then, then, in the, then the moment of distress, you're crying out to him. He's where you run to and not to yourself. We looked last week at how Paul told Timothy, Timothy was, was given a job. The Lord gives us all jobs to do. You know that? No matter where you think you're at, who you think you are, do you know that he's given you a gift? He's given you a call. He's given you a job to do. Your life is not about your job. It's actually about your relationship with him. But out of that comes a job that he wants to actually do through you. Every single person who's ever been born has had a job to do for the Lord. Much of the world's condition is directly related to the condition also of believers. Because it's through us and it's out of us that Jesus works. He's not walking on this earth physically anymore, but believers are. And there will always be ones that hate you. And there will always be people that, that write to their grave, deny him. They denied him in the flesh and they put him on a cross. So we can't be worried about that. But I think we'd see a lot more of God's works around us as our fire burns brighter. And so Timothy has a job to do. He was leading a church, and Paul told him, listen, I need to remind you. In fact, I'm compelling you, and, I, and I'm pushing. Listen, Timothy, this is the deal. In order to do what God has called you to do, in order to be the believer that he's placed you there to be, to be an example, to be the light in that place, Timothy, in, in 2 Timothy 1.6 in the Amplified, it says, I remind you to stir up. He said, Timothy, and I love how the Amplified says it, because this word stir up, what the Amplified does is the Amplified in the parentheses here is filling in what, you know, this was Greek and it was translated to English. So this stir up actually means a rekindling of the embers. Timothy, 
You got to rekindle the embers. Remember we said last week, the fire's not out. You got coals in there somewhere. Maybe you had a spark. Maybe you knew Jesus at some point in your life. Maybe you burned for him before. It's not out. There's some embers in there. And we talked last week that there's, you can take a little tiny spark. If you've watched Bear Grylls, you've seen him do it. With a little bit of work, you can get that little ember into a flame again. And I'm reminding you to stay diligent about this and keep burning the gracious gift of God, the inner fire that is in you by means of the laying out of my hands with those, the elders at your ordination. Timothy, God saved you. And then God placed you somewhere to do something for him. That is every single person in here. You may not ever be here. You may say, I can never touch a microphone. Fine, you don't have to. And you're no less of a voice or a witness for him just because you don't stand here with this. You are a light to the world that he's placed you in. And if everybody was standing here doing this, <laughs> I'm doing this, somebody's got to do this part, but if, if everybody was right here, then nobody out in the world would ever hear us. So you have exactly what you need and you are exactly where you're supposed to be. God is well aware of your life. He was aware of your family and your coworkers and all of those things before you were ever born. He knows exactly where you're at. And I can tell you right now with a promise from the word of God that you have within you what it takes to reach the world that he's placed you in. But that takes diligence. There's no gauge of God's love. His love does not increase for you. He doesn't accept you more or less based upon your performance. But based upon how much you give God is how much God gives out through you. That's not your salvation. I'm not talking about a merit system or earning your way to heaven. But God has put something inside you and it's up to you to work that thing Work the Spirit of God inside you with diligence. And he reminds him to do this. Why? Because he told him, basically, Timothy, if you want to stay um, faithful to God to the end, this will be your key. Keep the Spirit of God inside you burning. That'll be your key. And then we said last week that... The next step to a, a coal is what? Is going out completely. It's not out yet and no one's out here. But if you're not diligent about staying on fire for the Lord, it will go out. It's just time. It's just a matter of time. In fact, I told you, if you hit some coals with a heavy rainstorm, they're going to go out really quick. But if you get the fire burning hot enough and big enough, you can, we saw it. They try to put these California wildfires out and you can't. It's just too hot. It's just too, it's untouchable. And that's what God wants in us. I'm not saying that hard times are going to come tomorrow, but you want to be secure that no matter what comes, whether it's the times around you or a situation in your own life or your own mind or the devil trying to put something to stop you, the hotter your fire, the more you're burning, the more Jesus is on your lips, the more he's your focus, the harder it's going to be 
to get you out. It says in the Bible, all the way back, we can see this, this picture of fire right from the very beginning. I told you last week about Cain did an offering, brought an offering before the Lord in Genesis 4. So it's not a new thing in the Bible to have something, have an offering and, and, uh, and an altar. In fact, the offering is Cain, but only a couple chapters later, we have Noah building an altar and, and the fire of the Lord where he's burning before the Lord. And so this concept of the offering and the fire is within our hearts now. It's inside of us, but this is a concept that began right at the beginning of the Word. And I just want to walk you through that. It says in Leviticus chapter 6, we don't go there often as believers, but there is so much truth in this book. Uh, it's what builds upon Christ. We don't live by the law. We don't live by the rules and regulations of the law, but they all pointed to Christ. And they pointed to your faith that you would one day have, that we have here today. So it says in Leviticus chapter 6, and if I'm not moving fast enough, some, just everybody just raise your hands and just start waving like, okay, you need to keep moving, okay? Leviticus chapter 6 verse 9 says, give Aaron and his sons the following instructions. Okay, so Aaron was the very first priest of God. The very first. The very first temple was not even in a building. It was in a tent. The very first place that God actually came down and had, he had encounters with individuals up until this time, but the very first temple on the earth where God's presence was going to come and live with humanity was in a tent, and this is what he tells them. This is the very beginning. We need to listen to this because it's so important because now this is within our hearts, and we're going to look at that. It says, give Aaron and his sons the following instructions regarding the burnt offering. The burnt offering must be left on top of the altar the next morning until the next morning, and the fire on the altar must be kept burning all night. I want everybody to say out loud, keep the fire burning. It says in verse 12, it says, Meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must never go out. I want everybody to say out loud, it must never go out. So God's just establishing. He's establishing himself in the earth. He's establishing what would be the church, what Christ would fulfill, and who we would be in Christ. He's establishing right here in Leviticus 6. He told them as a declaration, as, as this is it, do not forget that the fire must be kept burning. It must never go out. And each morning, the priest will add fresh wood to the fire and arrange the burnt offering on it. He will then burn the fat of the peace offerings on it. And remember, he says it again a third time. Verse 13, remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. When you tell somebody something three times, it's usually important. I have to tell Elijah something 12 times. He still doesn't do it. Jesus is like, I mean, God's like, listen, I'm going to tell you three times. 
I know eventually you won't listen, but I'm going to tell you. See, the fire was God's nature. The fire of God that actually came down was His fire. He would start the fire, and it was their job to keep it burning. You cannot start the fire of God in your life. Do you know that? You can't get worked up about Jesus. Jesus does something inside you, didn't he? It's, all, it's your job just to maintain what was, what was done inside you. It's his fire. All you're doing is maintaining his fire. But he told them it must never go out. Now, wasn't God capable of keeping his own fire and his own temple burning? Why does he put that on you? I think it's really obvious because when we have responsibilities, right, as a family, husband and wife, you have responsibilities, keeps you sharp that, okay, I need to think about these responsibilities. As soon as the responsibilities go away, what happens? Vacation. <laughs> Who's thinking about responsibilities on vacation? No one. Might be thinking about what you're going back to, but you're not thinking about the ones you have to do. And I think the Lord made it really clear right at the beginning, I know your heart because I made it. And unless you are actively, you're active about it and actively working with me, unless we're constantly working together, human nature, we saw it. He's a, I mean, the fact that he even started establishing this way is because humanity had gone so astray. We get to Genesis 6, and he's already wiped out creation and started again. He knows the human heart. He knows our condition. Let's just listen to him. Can we just realize that God knows better than we do? And if we think that we're going to live a life as Christians mediocrely, if that's such a word, mediocrely, I think it is. If you think you're going to live for him with partial passion, visit when it's convenient, I can tell you right now, you either don't know him or the Jesus you think you know is not Jesus. Jesus became this sacrifice. It says in Numbers chapter 28, again, he tells, tells them to bring the offerings and to present the offerings before me. And he says, the same type of, of seriousness, he said, and make sure they're at their appointed times that you bring the offering where? To that altar of the fire that's always burning. Well, if we fast forward to the New Testament, it says in John chapter 10, verse 15, it says, John 10, verse 15, just as my Father knows me and I know the Father. This is Jesus talking. Jesus said, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. So Jesus became the picture that we see here in Leviticus. The picture was of what? Of an altar, of the temple, of a fire, and of a sacrifice. You have to get the whole picture here, right? But Jesus said, I'm sacrificing my life for the sheep, and no one can take my life, verse 18, from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. 
I'm just going to speed through. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Again, it says, So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. And it says in Hebrews 10, verse 8, First Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He, speaking of Jesus, cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Sometimes I know when I'm starting to set up a sermon, it's a little bit tedious, can be a little bit boring. I'm trying to paint a picture here for you. The very beginning, as soon as God starts establishing his temple, he starts establishing himself on the earth. The very first thing he does is he says, there's, I, you need to be uh, studious, you need to be diligent about bringing me your offering and keeping that fire burning. This will be the connection between you and I. It will cancel your sin, and it will be you telling me, God, that you love me, and that you're bringing me something saying, I love you. This is proof. You don't necessarily need this. He said it. Jesus summed it up. It's not that he really wanted it, but it's that it's the thing to make us, because he loves us, to make us be a part of him. Bring me something, and it will show me your heart, right? So Jesus comes along, and he takes that sacrifice, and he cancels the daily of bringing this and bringing that and doing. There was all kinds of sacrifices. There was the daily. There was the monthly. There was the seasonally. There was all kinds of sacrifices, and Jesus sums it all up in himself. Thank you, Jesus that we're not still outside after church. We're going to bring some bulls and rams and sheep and slit their throats. That's what they did. Sorry, it'd be so brutal. And that was the point, so you would understand that that could be my blood, but it's that animal's blood instead. And then we're going to burn them and we're going to feast on, on the meat. We're not going to do that after church today. But look what it says. See, a lot of Christianity stops right there and says, well, Jesus has done it for me. That's amazing. See, he became my sacrifice. We're done. Thanks, Jesus. Thank you. And we should say thank you. And we should be joyous about what he's done. But it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, imitate God. Imitate who? Is Jesus God. What did Jesus do? Sacrificed himself willingly. Nobody could take his life. He willingly sacrificed himself before the Lord. And it says, it says, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Verse 2, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Listen, what does it say? Follow whose example? Of Christ. What was Christ's example? 
He loved us. So that means that we need to love. And he, which is implying what we need to do, offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. I was spending time with the Lord. And I, the first thing the Lord sparked me with is we need the fire of God in us. We need to burn for him. We need zeal for him. And the Lord spoke to me so sharp. And I'm going to say to you what he said to me. If I did give you my fire, what would you do with it? What would I be coming to you with fire for? It was that sharp. And I got this revelation, this connection between the fire of God, which was, it's who he is. The Bible says he's an all-consuming fire, right? When they see Jesus, John sees Jesus in Revelation, he's fire. He's got eyes of burning fire. Around his throne is so bright, the fire, you can't even look upon his throne, it's who God is. And so the fire of God, the fire that, the, that they represented in a very s- a simple picture of a, a tent and a stone altar and wood and natural things, he was giving them a picture of our lives, of what Jesus would fulfill and ultimately then what comes inside of our heart. An altar and the wood that you're keeping burning and finally an offering. There's no point to the fire of God. There was no point to the altar without the offering upon it. Jesus is your offering for salvation. Jesus is the sacrificed lamb to give you life into eternity. You can never sacrifice enough. Do not, I just want to be clear. You could never sacrifice enough to earn salvation. That sacrifice is done for you. And We are called to join with Christ. That's why in multiple places in the word, it says that you are no longer alive, that you have died. Well, what's that implying? That's implying when you said yes to Christ and God looks down from heaven and saw Jesus on the cross and saw his blood running down the cross, he sees your life on that cross with Christ and says, you're free, you're saved, your, your sin is done. Your salvation is complete. But if that's the case, as I say so many times, it's the theory of that and the idea of that is amazing until all of a sudden, now church is over and we got to live life. We've got families, we've got to go to work. What does that mean? And it's because that has already happened for your spirit instantaneously the second you said yes. But there's still a life that you're, there's still time that's ticking here on earth. And your life is reflecting. You're not doing anything to earn that, but you're merely now reflecting what has already happened on the cross. And who knows that Jesus burned with passion when he said, forgive them. For they know not what they do as they nailed the nails into his hands. Who thinks that Jesus was a little bit passionate, had a little bit of zeal, had a little bit of fire burning in his heart as a willing sacrifice for us? And the Bible tells us to imitate him. I thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And I mean that. I'm not doing a pastorly line. I say it right here, right in front of you. I mean that. And we all say thank you. But the Bible tells us 
to join with him, to become one with him. We become one in the things that he's given us, eternity. He's given us peace. He's given us joy. He's given us hope. He's given us all those things freely, but he also gave us a life to live. You are not your own if you belong to Christ. And as the church of the world is crying out for the fire of God and we sing songs about it, we sang a song today about that. I didn't even think about that. Your fire, Lord. We got to think about what we're saying. The Lord is saying, I have the fire. Where's the sacrifice? I have the fire. Where's the sacrifice? There's a direct connection between the sacrifice and the fire. And you ready for this? The Lord only sends the fire when the sacrifice is already on the altar. Let's go and look at that. Just making sense today. Am I boring anybody? Not yet. I'm getting there. Listen, sometimes the word is a little bit tedious, but it's worth it because God has a picture that he's painting for us, isn't he? It says in 2 Chronicles, and I'll keep moving, keep our pace up, keep us alive and awake. Second Chronicles chapter 6. Now Solomon is the very first building. Now the temple has been converted from a tent to a building and this is it. Brand new. He just finished building it and it's done. It's finished. It's complete. What do you think the very first thing he's going to do? Did he go in there and he worship? No. Did he go in there and praise? We're going to get to that. He does that. The very first thing he does is prepares an offering before the Lord. He says, I have built a glorious temple. Chapter 6, verse 2. I built a glorious temple for you, a place where you can live forever. Verse 11. Then there I've placed the ark, which contains the covenant that the Lord made with the people of Israel. And the ark is within our heart, right? The ark had what inside of it? The Ten Commandments. And the Bible says that one day there's going to be a people, that's you and I, with the law written on your heart. So the ark that he's talking about inside of the temple. Who are we? We are the temple of God. Where's the ark inside of you? Where's the law written on your hearts? So this is not irrelevant because it's Old Testament, New Testament. There is no dividing line in our word. And much of the church is missing so much of God because they divided a line there. There's no such thing. The New Testament church was preaching the Old Testament church. Because as those, written, those letters were being written in the New Testament, what were they preaching about? The letter that didn't arrive yet? They're preaching about this right here, that wait, it's all coming to life. Jesus is, and, and our lives, it's all making sense now. That the, Wait, there used to be a temple, but now we're the temple. That's where the presence of God used to be. Well, where's it going to be? In me. There used to be a fire in the temple. Where's the fire? It's got to be in me. Where's the ark? Well, now it's in me. Where's the sacrifice? Well, I stumped you. In me. It says, then Solomon, verse 12, he stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire community of Israel, and he lifted his hands in prayer. And it says, And Solomon had made a bronze platform, seven and a half feet long, seven feet wide, and four, and he made an altar. And he sent her of the temple's outer courtyard. And he stood on the platform, and then he knelt in front of the entire community. Now, while he's doing this, the offering, and I'm going to show you, has already been prepared. Before he even goes to the Lord, before he even prays, it says... 
the, he stretches hands towards heaven. Now we go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, and says, When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Who's the temple? Is this building the temple? Who's supposed to carry His presence? Where's the fire supposed to be? Where's the sacrifice supposed to be? In us. So it says, Then the priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. That's how overwhelming His presence was because sin, even though they had done this temporary thing with animals, right? There was a temporary, basically a band-aid on humanity until Jesus Christ tore the final veil of the most holy place. And we now have that presence. It says, the Bible says, New Testament without veil, unveiled. And it says in verse 3, when all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down. Who wants the fire of God? Who wants to see it come down into your heart? And if you don't... (laughs) Sorry, guys. I know I'm so sharp. I can't help it. The Lord said to me, if you don't want the fire, you got a bigger problem. I'm not saying anybody here. We just... Whether your mind thinks certain things or not, you just need to tell your mind what the Word says. Your spirit agrees. If you follow Christ, your spirit agrees. Your mind may not agree. Your mind is lazy. Right? Jesus said it. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. All right? He's aware of that. Doesn't mean don't pray. It was just, I'm okay that you fell asleep when I'm about to go to the cross for you. But doesn't mean you don't have to ever pray again. I just understand your shortcomings. And Peter was going to go to his own cross. So he's like, you know what? You need a little sleep. I'm okay with this. That's fine. Because you're going to follow my footsteps in a very real way. But he says, when they saw the fire of the presence of the Lord coming down, filling the temple, they fell face down on the ground and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, He is good. He is faithful. His faithful love endures forever. The book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. The Bible doesn't make mistakes. When they say words like plead, it means plead. It means, listen, I can't, if I could come to your house and live next to you every day and help you stoke your fire, I would. That's what he's saying. I'm pleading with you to give, what's it say? Whose body? Your neighbor's body. Give your church. Just give your church to me, right? No, give who? Raise your hand. My body, my life, my time, my money, everything. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because why? See, we love that Jesus has what he's done for us. And the Bible tells us in direct relation 
directly because of what Jesus did, summing up all of that, summing up all of the Old Testament of the temple being developed finally into a human body to sum it all up with a fire and the offering. It's because of all he has done for you. Not to get to Jesus. You can never sacrifice enough to get him to love you. It's never going to be enough. What could you do in humanity to, to equal with God? He's already done that. We're doing our part. We're giving our lives. And he pleads with us to do this because of all that Jesus has done for us. And he says, let them be a living, who's still living? Okay, for the rest of you. Wow, that wasn't a trick question. Let them, so I'm, come on out loud, I'm living, I'm a living and holy sacrifice. And it says the kind he will find acceptable. And it's funny, in other translations, it says, this is your reasonable service. In other words, I'm not asking you to do something that's unreasonable. What I'm asking you to do here, as I plead with you, is just normal. And don't think just because now the, the temple, when Jesus died on that cross and the temple was cracked and, the, and he abolished the, the he, didn't, uh, he didn't abolish what was established, but he abolished the menial. He said, I didn't come to abolish, I came to fulfill. But the abolishment of the menial, of the religion, don't think that the, that the, thing that he did there on the cross didn't put all of that inside of us. And we can mix linen and cotton. <laughs> we can, if we touch a dead body, as gross as that is, wash your hands and still have dinner with your family that night. If you don't know what I'm talking about, these are like Leviticus laws. These were the things that you couldn't do. Those things have been washed away, but the, the temple format, the sacrifice, the offering was never abolished. Jesus just fulfilled it. And, be, we, because, and the reason that I brought you to Cain and to Noah, and I didn't mention all their names, but I mentioned that the offering began all the way in chapter 4 of Genesis. Cain gives an offering before the Lord. The Lord's not pleased with it. And when it was unchecked, what we say last week, it went unchecked in his heart. He didn't deal with it. And it ended up actually corrupting his heart, caused him to do one of the worst sins, if there is a gauge of sins, and murdered his brother. So we see the direct relation to the offering out of us began right at the beginning. Then Noah, the very first thing he does, as soon as he gets out of the ark, the Lord's delivered him. What does he do? He gives a sacrifice to the Lord. So the sacrifice is not a new thing, and it's not an old thing. I'm going to say that out loud it's not a new thing, and it's not an old thing. It's present tense right here, right now. Many times 
believe that the reason we're lacking the zeal, the passion, the fire is because there's no sacrifice in our lives. There's no sacrifice. Uh, listen, we were just chatting. Life's busy. And, and life around you has a way of making you overwhelmingly busy, doesn't it? Too busy that you don't even see, you know, your own family. <laughs> I mean, too much. Don't think as a believer the devil doesn't put that into turbo. The world's busy, but the devil will put so much craziness, chaos, busyness around you. He'll put that into turbo drive to keep you from what really matters. Don't think he won't, because who knows he does as a believer. Who's had a little more chaos? You say yes to Christ, and you're like, wait a second, what's going on? Why does the world have so much peace? They're on vacation, and I'm like going crazy. Well, because the enemy's trying to get you distracted, get you so focused back on your problems and not back at the altar giving an offering to the Lord. I was heartbroken, though. You know, I Googled offering. I just wanted to, I said, Googled New Testament offerings because I had known, and I'll read you one. You know, in Hebrews, it says in chapter 13, it says, Hebrews chapter 13, it says in verse uh, 15, to offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God. And I'll look at that a little more in a moment. And I was like, let me, it, you know, I know that there's some more. So fastest way sometimes before you do a Bible search is actually just to Google it. But I was heartbroken because all that Google could give me when I put in offering was tithes and offerings. Although that's the problem. What about your life? Because what my Bible says is, Jesus tells us, I mean, he said, your treasure is where your heart is. So it's not like it's not touched in my Bible. And then, in fact, I read, because I was looking at all the different things about this topic, I mean, as extreme, all the extremes. And I saw how Jesus said the woman who gave the, she gave all she had. And the Lord said that he was pleased because she, she gave out of her nothingness and gave everything and everybody else was just giving a little bit. And he said that she, that she was who he was pleased with. So it's not like Jesus doesn't talk about the money coming, that, that that's a reflection of your heart. He does. He does touch that. But the real issue, the real thing that Jesus was trying to get, and actually she's a picture of that, is just your whole life. You are the offering. Offer your time. We'll get through, well, even, I hate to be so sharp, but we could throw some money at a particular thing and say, well, I can't, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. Here's some money to do that. Because our time's too precious. You know what? Maybe that's who you are. Maybe God has put you in a place to be able to, that's who you are. You are a funder. But I'd say a lot more People should be doing the actual work of it than just throwing money at one person doing all the work. And this is not a reflection of here or this church. I know a lot of times sermons like this get preached and it's like pastors asking for help, physical help and money help. That's, you know me now. You guys know me by now. It's not an issue. But how, that, our time, what about your time? What about the sacrifice of just spending time with him? You know, it's a sacrifice when you come 
on a Sunday morning when everybody else is mowing their lawn and getting ready to watch football, soon, they're watching pregame stuff now and all that, right? So soon, mow that get the lawn done so they have their Sunday afternoon for, for football, but we're here praising God. That's a sacrifice. It's one that God sees too and he's pleased with. Did you know he's pleased with the Christians who get up on Sunday mornings and bring him a sacrifice of their time and it says in Hebrews 13, the sacrifice of praise. He's pleased with that. That was always his way, you know. It was never about the things. It wasn't about the necessarily the animal and the blood. It was a, it, there was just pictures pointing to Christ, ultimately then being one with us, pointing to us, giving your life. And it says in Hebrews, to expound on this, and I'll, I'll close in this, this chunk right here. In Hebrews 13, 10, it says, we have an altar, right? It's a new altar. It's a brand new thing. And it says, we have an altar, which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat, right? Because our altar is inside of us. It's not in a building. It's not in a church. That's right. We gather as his body together, and we need to keep doing that. The Lord's pleased with that, too. The Lord is pleased with the sacrifice of when you don't necessarily get along with people, but you still come together because you're brothers and sisters before the Lord. These are sacrifices that sometimes the world's not willing to make. All of these things are pleasing. Those are your sac- That's the aroma coming off of you that I'm giving my life and my time and my money. That's the, that's the smallest part. It's only, that's only 10% of me. The rest of me, the other 90%, the Lord still requires she doesn't require it from your checkbook. He's looking for, for all of you. But he says, we have an altar. It's a new system. It's a new thing. It's inside of us. Verse 11, under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. Verse 12, so also Jesus suffered. Who suffered? Jesus He suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. Jesus did it. He made you holy. He became that sacrifice. He got on that altar and the fire of God on that moment when he said it is finished, the fire of God. You couldn't see it because it was a spiritual thing, but the fire of God came down. The Bible says, actually, you look, it was lightning, which is what? Lightning is fire. Struck, bam. The Lord struck and it was done. It was finished. The offering was acceptable before the Lord. And it says, verse 13, so let everyone else, so let someone else go out to him. What's it say? So let us go to him. Let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. That's worth clapping about. Therefore, verse 15, let us, let us offer through Jesus. You can't do it without Jesus. It doesn't mean anything. This doesn't mean that the world doing good things shouldn't be done, but it doesn't really mean anything in the end 
if it wasn't through Christ. Let us offer through Jesus a temporary, uh, on Sundays, when it's convenient, when we feel like it, sacrifice of praise to God. Let us offer through Jesus a every second, every moment of every day. And that would make sense because technically you're dead. So what are you? You don't have any time anyway. Let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And I love this. And this is my very last verse. And then it says in verse 16, see, this is a part of it. As you offer your sacrifice, if you offer everything of you, and it says, and don't forget, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. I think sometimes the Lord's like, you're crying out for my fire, but there's people around you in need all the time, and you just walk past their problem, walk past their issue. Well, that's their problem. They made bad money decisions in their life. You know what? They made bad decisions, should have never done that drug. That's their problem. And he says, these are the sacrifices that please God. It's not your life. It's his. If you belong to Christ and you call him your savior, it's his life. And it's those around you that he's looking to touch through you. Let's stand. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. And Lord, as Paul says, and Lord, as the revelation hits us, it's a privilege that we get to join with you. Lord, he said, it's a privilege that I get to suffer for you. When we get the full revelation of what you did for us, and the grand scheme of what this world is, Lord, and the temporariness of it and the eternity that awaits us, Lord, out of our hearts comes the same words, that it's a privilege to link with you, to suffer with you, Lord, to become a sacrifice. Lord, we thank you that pleases you. It's an aroma that you are pleased with. You see that sacrifice upon the altar and you say, I'm pleased. And I thank you, Lord, that each of us in this place Lord, as it says in the book of Revelation, when we enter those gates for all time, that you're going to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm pleased with you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.